We are in a, a series, a summer series, where we are answering your questions about uh, the faith, about God, about whatever it might be. And today I'm going to be answering the question about baptism. All about baptism is what today's sermon is, is what, what, what's happening. We're having a baptism a week from today. That's going to be significant for our church body. And then I'm hoping the week following to have a second baptism. And I think that we have five or six people on deck who are going to be baptized in the coming month, which is really exciting to me. The, the, the week before the shutdown and COVID came upon us, we had a baptism service, and then all of a sudden we weren't meeting for months. So it's kind of like a bookend, if you will. You know, we're, we're coming back into the life that we're called to do here. So uh, we'll have a baptism next week, one after that. But this, this week I want to answer the question, you know, what is, what is the big deal about baptism? What does it mean? Uh, and what does it mean for me? Recently, I heard someone ask the question, you know, what is the point of baptism since you don't need to be baptized in order to be saved? Why be baptized if it's not part of your salvation? And this question of whether you need to believe and be baptized in order to be saved has been raging for generations in the church. It's something that they've fought over, you know, in the church with different sides of this debate, pointing to Scripture to prove their side or the other side. This question of does it, do you have to be uh, baptized in order to be saved goes to a deeper and deeper question which asks, is it by faith alone that we're saved? Or is it by faith plus works, like baptism being a work that we are saved? That's a question that's always been in the church and been struggled through by generations upon generation. Is it faith alone or faith and works that saves you? Now, the amazing thing about baptism it's, is uh, that question about faith and works is only one of the many common questions and debates surrounding baptism. Baptism is one of our two sacraments. Uh, we do the baptism and the Lord's table in the church. I know Catholics have like 25 of them. We just don't have as much. So we, we have baptism and we have um, uh, the Lord's Supper. So baptism is very important in the life of the church, obviously. Uh, and so there's lots of questions about it, lots of confusion. Another question about baptism is, when should you be baptized? When should you be baptized? And this has raged in the church for millennia since Jesus walked the earth. For instance, are we to be baptized as infants, like in the Roman Catholic Church, or the Lutheran Church, or the Presbyterian Church? Or is baptism to be carried out only after someone personally chooses to make Jesus their Lord and Savior? That's a big question. Now, is it it's supposed to be a believer's baptism, which is what they call it when you're a Christian and then you go to be baptized? Or is it a, a child baptism, an infant baptism? Uh, believer's baptism is the position held by various evangelical churches, including ours. Uh, the, the, the denomination Baptist Church, that kind of tells you about, you know, their position. They're, they're believer's baptism people in the Baptist Church. In our denomination, it, it is believer's baptism as well. So, Baptism. Is, is baptism something that saves you is the first question. The second one is, when do we be baptized as an infant or as a believer? And as if that weren't enough controversy and questions, even the mode of baptism is debated. So is it enough to sprinkle somebody with like a little sensor thing like they do in higher church in order to baptize them? Or do, does a person have to become fully immersed in a larger body of water in order to be baptized correctly? Uh, one of the baptisms I did in this church was for a very tall friend and he was so tall that I wasn't able to get him all the way underneath the water. 
And I was like, I don't know if you're baptized, buddy. I'm just stuck. I hope you're baptized. Hopefully God saw how hard I tried to push you down into the waters of baptism. So when are we baptized? Is it baptism part of our salvation? How are we to be baptized? These are questions that have really been talked about forever and are still talked about. And many denominations are split by along these lines. I find these questions to be interesting, but I do not want to lead us into the trap of getting lost in certain technical questions and losing the essence of what baptism actually means. I don't want to be part of a quarrelsome church that looks down on other people for their beliefs and discounts their experiences. Furthermore, you know, some, aside not, not wanting to be quarrelsome and not wanting to be condemning people that think differently, um, some of these questions, you know, like, do you need to be baptized in order to be saved? That might be the wrong question that my friend had. We don't want to fall into the trap of asking, what is the least amount I can possibly do in order to be saved? Then everything else I'm not going to do. That's not really a good heart question. Instead, I think of Ephesians 5, which says, For once you were once in darkness, but now you are in the light in the Lord. Live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. If we're going to be baptized, I want our motivation to be because we're trying to find out what pleases the Lord, not what's the least amount I can do to get to heaven when I die, which is a very modern and very um, troubling question. So we're to be a people that are trying to find out what pleases the Lord. The mere existence of all of these questions surrounding baptism means that, whether we like it or not, a completely clear answer to which all Christians can universally point and say this is the truth and we can agree on this has not been met in our present day. Rather, those with various positions on baptism, typically fragmented to different denominations and churches, which I don't, think, I don't think it should be that way, but that's the way it is. I, I know furthermore that there will never be a consensus on this question until Jesus comes back and sprinkles us, or whatever he does, or immerses us, there's never going to be um, consensus. I love this quote that's attributed to Augustine and hotly contested whether it's him or not, but uh, it says, in essentials of the faith, unity. In doubtful matters, liberty. In all things, charity. Love that quote, and I hope that he said it. If he didn't, I call it. Um, I think that this mode of baptism thing falls into the doubtful matters. Not that, not that we doubt whether something should be practiced, but what, rather, we do not have a consensus among the church, so we need to have humility about this topic. Um, I will not say with confidence that someone who was baptized as an, infant, as an infant is not baptized. I will not say that. In God's sight, uh, just, you know, just because it was not a believer's baptism, like we carry out here at the church, or just because it was sprinkling and not immersion, I'm not going to say that person is not baptized. And furthermore, I will celebrate without reserve the baptisms of my Presbyterian and Lutheran brothers and sisters, infant children. I'm not going to hear the news of them getting baptized and be like, oh, you know, too bad they got their theology wrong about baptism, and just be a jerk about it, which is something that can happen. I'm going to celebrate, and actually in my family— and my, among my siblings, there are different views on this. And the church I grew up in was an infant baptism church. And, um, and my sister just baptized their two children. 
And maybe in the past, as I was less mature, I would have said, well, they're doing it wrong. But now I, I'm kind of seeing, you know, we need to be, have charity. Charity, number one. And we need to realize that some, some of the things we are sure about are doubtful matters to others. And we need to have grace to, to celebrate the beautiful thing that people are doing when they offer their children to God. We also, we also, we do child dedications here. And that's kind of what we do in place of that uh, baptism thing. So I think we, we need to avoid the quarrelsome nature of this thing and avoid the condescending attitudes. I think that we have to exercise a lot of grace and humility in this matter um, and recognize that the Holy Spirit really does lead people in this area of baptism. And he really does. I'm going to tell you from the, the wisdom, whatever wisdom I have as a pastor for the last, you know, 10 years, people that the Holy Spirit is calling to be baptized, he does not give up on bothering them about it. People that need to be rebaptized because they were infant baptized, but God wills them to be baptized as believers, he does not let them rest until they do it. You know, people who are evaluating their infant baptism and saying, did this count? You know, maybe God doesn't have that person to be rebaptized. Maybe he says, that's fine, you're good. But for other people, he will hound people until they do baptism. It's very important to God. I, there's no other thing that I can think of that is more, tr- has been more troubling to more mature Christians that I know than, should I be rebaptized? I don't know, I'm not sure. This is something that's extremely important to the heart of God, and I believe God's Holy Spirit will lead each person because God really wills that his people be baptized. This amazing sacrament Jesus gave us. God does not rest until each of his children, one way or another, either recognizes their infant baptism as being valid or becomes baptized after their conversion to Christ. My story, my own story, is that I was baptized as a young teen by my parents' pastor. And normally, the church I grew up in would baptize infants. But by the grace of God, they recognized that not all people are, you know, born into the church and not all people have that um, ability to be baptized as an infant. So they were willing to baptize us as adults, as believers. So when I was a young teen, my older sister desired to be baptized. And it sort of just became like, like with siblings who are close in age. Oh, she's getting baptized. What about you? You want to be baptized too? Let's kind of do this thing. And... Um, so, so I'm kind of investigating it. We, I think I must have been 11 or 12. And we met with the pastor, and he asked us questions about our spiritual lives. And as we were answering, I just started to feel this extreme sense of shame uh, because I could tell that the answers I was giving to my pastor were not pleasing to him. And, uh, and that was a, that's a hard pill to swallow. At one point, my pastor asked me, do you read your Bible and pray every day? And I said, well... I have a picture Bible that I enjoy. It's like a comic book style Bible. And he, he, he laughed at me. He said, no, really. And I choked down about a gallon and a half of shame in that context. And I lied. I told him, yeah, I pray the Bible and pray every day. No. Just felt really bad about this whole thing. So later, my sister and I were baptized in, in the lake at my parents' house. And... Um, I could not wait for it to be over. I just wanted it to be done. I, I reasoned to myself, I'll get baptized so that I don't have to think about this or do this again because it's embarrassing and I don't feel good about myself. And uh, 
it was a special baptism in the sense that my father and the pastor both did it together, and I, I really appreciate my parents wanting to do that for me, but I was not in a good place. You know, I wanted to get it over with. All this was going on inside me, you know, never coming out. It was like a, a champagne bottle full of shame. And it was a religious, a religious, a religious spirit that was ruining my life and ruling my life. The kind of spirit that likes to have certain answers and look down on other people and, or look down on myself. I'll never be good enough. I felt deep down inside that I was a phony Christian, an imposter, and that God was angry with me. Following my, to, to let you know just how, how much of a trauma this was for me, because I mean, obviously, if my parents had known this, they wouldn't have done this. It's all internal. That's why you have to be so careful with kids, really careful with kids. Um, I, had a, I had a terrifying nightmare following my baptism. I'll never forget it. When I, when I was a kid, I did a lot of ice fishing. I still enjoy ice fishing. The most sedentary sport of them all. Of them all. Um, so we, we'd, we'd make these holes in the ice, you know, to ice fish. So in my dream, the pastor of that church and his wife were wearing black. It was almost like a black wedding dress and creepy imagery. And they marched me out to the lake, and they were like chanting. And they drilled this hole in the ice and put me in it. And then they marched around the hole chanting, and I, I was hitting the ice. I couldn't get up to breathe. And that, that's the kind of trauma that I felt inside. That's how my mind processed it. It's, it's uh, crazy. So clearly I had issues, and still do probably. And clearly I did not understand how the gospel was good news. I, I, I don't think there was anything about church that felt like good news to me. Uh, I just wanted God to leave me alone. I finally heard and accepted the actual good news of God's grace uh, 20 years ago. In 2001. Maybe in 2000. No, 2001. And after that time, when I really received the gospel, this probably seven or eight years after I was baptized as a kid, I started to feel compelled to be baptized again. And I'd been baptized as an adult already, quote-unquote, Right? I felt compelled to be baptized. But I was so conflicted because I thought, well, I've already been baptized and it's just kind of weird and I don't want to make my parents sad because they did this baptism for me, all these kinds of things. But the thought kind of ate away at me inside. You know, get baptized, be baptized. So that hung out in the background for a couple of years. In my third year of college, uh, I attended a chapel service. Uh, they had a very dynamic speaker named Craig Smith, who was the head of the Native American wing of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, amazing guy. And he, he was sharing in chapel. And in that chapel, he spoke so powerfully about obedience. And he challenged me in a very good and direct way. And he said, so many Christians sit around asking, asking God, what is your will for my life? Begging God, what is your will for my life? Who is my spouse to be? What job should I do? And these same Christians ignore the clear teaching of, of the written word of God in the Bible. There's all kinds of things you could be doing, you know, to obey God in the Bible. But we're always just looking after this very specific guidance and kind of ignoring or forgetting about the direct teachings of the Bible. The example he gave was, the Bible says, believe and be baptized. So instead of, instead of sitting around waiting, is this God's will for my life and getting yourself in, a, in a, like I was, a circular way of thinking, um, we need to simply just obey this clear teaching of Scripture. And then jokingly, he said, hey, I'll baptize you. So I went up, and um, 
It was, it was the beginning of September. We were at, at Naya College by, by the river. I was in, it was my first semester there. In other words, I was hoping to look spiritual and mature and cool to all the girls. That's what I was hoping for. My, I came in as a junior after going, graduating from state school. Um, I, but, but despite all of this, I went up and I said, I want to be baptized. He was sort of surprised. I took him up on it. He said, you know what? Let's, let's uh, open it up to the rest of the student body. And so over, t- over 25 of us were baptized in the morning in the Hudson River in September, <laughs> in the beginning of September. And uh, it, was, it was the most memorable thing ever. I have pictures of us getting baptized, and it was just picture after picture of me and some of the people I'd met in my student orientation week getting baptized. And when I came out of those waters of baptism, I was glowing, but not from the PCBs. It was, bef- it was before the dredging. I was glowing with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was being, doing something very directly and obediently to the Word of God, and it was, God was pleased, I was pleased. It was wonderful. What about you? Have you been baptized? Have you simply obeyed what God clearly says in the Bible to do after you put your faith in Christ? Have you talked yourself into it and talked yourself out of it, like I have? Have you wrestled with whether or not you feel that your baptism as an infant was enough for you? Have you wrestled with that question? As I said before, it very well may be enough for you in God's sight that you were baptized as an infant. But if it's not, what are you waiting for? In your heart of hearts, what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do in this area of obedience and the Lordship of Christ? You know, baptism is beautiful. Far from being this bad thing that I experienced in my own young mind, my own young self, baptism is beautiful. My favorite teaching on baptism is found in Romans 6, the whole chapter. But in particular, Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with Jesus through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, baptism is about fully and publicly identifying yourself with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You're identifying with him, saying, I'm going to be die like Jesus to myself, to my sin. I'm going to be raised up in the new life of the Spirit to walk with God. That's what baptism means. Identifying with Jesus Christ that we die to sin, as it says in Romans 6. We die to the old way of life. In the same way that Jesus died on the cross. Then we are buried just like Jesus was in his tomb, symbolized by going underneath the waters of baptism, hopefully all the way. And we are then raised up out of the baptism waters like Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day by the Holy Spirit. So that we can, from, from this day forward, walk in the newness of life that God dreams for each of his children. That's what it's all about. We can then, as Romans six eleven teaches, we can count ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Counting ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. 
be, being the romantic type as far as my, how I think and po- poetry and things, you know, I told my friend in college shortly after I was baptized, I almost want to just, just buy like a, a gravestone with my, my name on it and put, he died this day and put it in the cemetery and just say, you know, that's my, my, my old self, dead, distant, alive in God. Um, I was obsessed with cemeteries at the time, still am. But um, despite this, uh, that was the feeling I had. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. Because then we can say with confidence that we are beginning our new creation phase of life. We are new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, identifies with Christ fully, his life, death, baptism, and resurrection, the new creation has gone and the old creation the old creation has gone, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Such a beautiful image of what baptism means. It's poetry. It really is. It's beautiful. What is God saying to you about your own baptism this morning? Have you been baptized? Like the scripture tells you to be? Um, how do you feel about your infant baptism? Are you good with that? What's God saying to you? This is not shame-based questions, but meant to make you think about what God's doing in your life right now, right now. I love the pamphlet that the Christian Missionary Alliance gives us, and you'll, you will see that um, the specific belief of our denomination is believer's baptism, so be, be, being baptized after you, after you come to Christ. We do child dedications in the beginning of life. We do believer's baptism, and then we, um, we do baptism by immersion, typically. Although it says in the manual, if, if there's not water available to do an immersion, just do a sprinkle. Which is why I love our denomination, because they're not being stinkers about this. I really appreciate that. But it says in our pamphlet, you know, Christian water baptism was established by Jesus when he called his apostles to make disciples of all the nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's the last instructions Jesus gave to his disciples have people come to me and have them be baptized. So Christian Missionary Alliance churches like ours encourage all followers of Christ to be baptized. In the early church, baptisms were conducted in public places and identified the person who was being baptized as being a follower of Christ. Today, baptisms are often performed inside church buildings, but it's a public demonstration of faith in Jesus that makes it special, makes it uh, unique. The person who is being baptized publicly declares, Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord, and I identify with him. I I get it. I understand dying to sin and being raised in Christ. I want that new life. Baptism followed repentance and faith in the early church. The apostle Peter invited his listeners on the day of Pentecost to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is thousands of people that came to Christ at Pentecost um, being baptized. What a sight that must have been. 3,000 people responded to this invitation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. Alliance churches like ours, we follow the same practice of baptism for those who have repented of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is the next step. For centuries, believers entering into baptism were asked to make three renunciations as a demonstration of their commitment to faith. One, do you forsake the devil and all his works? It's not about perfection, it's about intention. As we all struggle with our flesh, we struggle with sin till the day we die. But in our hearts, are we saying, I'm dead to sin, alive in Christ? Do I forsake the devil and all of his works? 
Do you forsake the vain pomp and, pomp and glory of the world with all the covetous desires of the same? And three, do you forsake the carnal desires of the flesh so that, thou will not, so that you will not follow or be led by them? You know, it's about the intention of the heart. How am I going to, what's, what am I aiming at in my life? Um, you know, in driver's ed, I've said this before, you are taught to look to the horizon, not look to the road right in front of your car and swerve around, but look to the horizon and you drive straight and true. Um, this is what we're saying in baptism. We're looking beyond the devil. We're looking upon the flesh. We're looking beyond uh, pride and, and the glory that the world gives us and looking to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. And probably all that good stuff happens as you do that, you know, as you put your eyes on Christ. The Apostle Paul explained that baptism represents the union with Christ. It's, 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 a, it's that identification, being immersed in the water, coming out of the water, the new life in Christ. The person that was previously dead to sin has been made spiritually alive by the power that raised Jesus Christ to life. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in every believer, and that same spirit brings life to our bodies. The Apostle Paul portrays that life change as putting on new clothes, taking off the old, putting on the new, in Galatians 3.27. And water baptism identifies a person as a disciple of Christ and celebrates passage from the old life into the new life in Christ. It's very popularly said, it's an outward sign of an inward change. In our denomination, we believe in immersive baptism when possible because it best portrays the poetry of the thing, being immersed in the grave, being fully covered. You know, it just, it just kind of hits home. The burial and then the resurrection that comes after it. And this is the way that it was done on the two largest examples we have in the Scripture from Matthew 3.16 and Acts 8.38-39. It was baptism by immersion. We do not believe that baptism is required to receive salvation, in case you're wondering. In the Catholic Church, there is something salvific about baptism. There's something about baptism that marks you as, you know, saved-ish. And then you kind of spend the rest of your life filling in the blanks of what the ish is, right? Um, it's part of salvation, in a way. In a mysterious way. And I, don't, I don't claim to be a, a Catholic theologian. I'm just saying, in general, this is what is believed. It's something salvific about Catholic baptism. When it comes to Lutheran baptism or Methodist baptism or um, Presbyterian infant baptism, the symbol is bringing people into the covenant. It's a covenant theology, and they have something where they believe that um, baptism replaces circumcision in the Old Testament, and now it's baptism, so it's done for infants. And it's about bringing people into the family of God. Again, a beautiful image, a, a lovely image, actually, uh, but the belief that we have is is symbolizing the decision that an individual has made to follow Jesus, and it follows being saved. Um, so as you're considering your own baptism, what God's asking of you, it's important to consider all those nuances of different beliefs about baptism and see if you're comfortable, if you feel like you are where you need to be. These questions about baptism that we've been asking, you know, they're, they're for you alone to answer. No one's going to hold you accountable to get baptized if you need to be baptized, and no one's going to um, condemn you if you don't get baptized. There's no, there's no, no nothing like that in this church at all. We've had uh, elders be baptized in this church who are, inf who are infant baptized 
you know, after they were already elders, they became baptized. We've had two elders could be baptized. From the, from the, from the ruling elders, you know, the, the, the leaders of the church who are pastoring the church, all the way down to someone who's just visiting for the first time, you know, it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. Uh, God is pursuing us and asking us, are you baptized? If not, why not? Are you comfortable with the baptism you've received? If not, why not? This is very important questions. Next week, August 28th, we will have a baptism. And you'll be able to see what a baptism looks like at New Life. It'll be, maybe it'll demystify it for you in some ways. I haven't dropped that many people into the water. I usually don't hold them underwater. But next week I'm considering it for a little while. Just until all the sin is gone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but you'll be able to see it next week. And my hope is on the following week, on September 4th or September 11th, I don't know which exactly, but I want to have several more baptisms, as many more people that want to be baptized already. Um, some of these people are people that God has called to be rebaptized. Many of us are from a Catholic background around here, so we have to come, come over these questions. Um, some of us are simply Christians who are obeying God's will for them to be baptized following salvation. And maybe there's been a 20-year lag between salvation and the baptism. But nonetheless, God just says, don't worry about the past. Forget what's behind. Take hold of what's ahead in your journey with Christ. So I would like to, uh, to encourage you. Believe and be baptized. Um, I have an outdated sign-up sheet for the baptism we were supposed to have that didn't happen. It's very sad. Um, up here. And if you want to be baptized, come up to the podium here. Not now. Not when everyone, it doesn't have to be where anyone's looking, but I'll put a pen right here and you can just write down, I'd like to talk to Pastor Nathan or I have more questions or I'd like to be baptized. And I want to meet with everybody, whether on the phone or in person, before we uh, do the baptism. So please sign up or just wrestle with this at home and then let me know via the email address that's provided on your news sheet. You know, get in, get, get in touch with me. Uh, I am thrilled to baptize you, and, I, and trust me, I don't, I mean, I got baptized and rebaptized, and, you know, I know what it's like to struggle with these questions. I know what it's like to feel like, wow, this is, this is going to be kind of embarrassing. I don't want people to think I'm not a spiritual person. I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm not a good Christian because I've waited so long. I've been through all that. I've, I'm that guy. The only thing I haven't been is, is infant baptized, but I'm thinking about doing that too. Like, if I can get all the baptisms done, then the pro hopefully they won't leak. Um, but, you know, this is just something to consider for yourself. Again, it's, it's, it's a beautiful gift. It's a rich symbol. It's poetry. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful, beautiful ceremony. Um, it's something that God just calls us to do. It's one of his final instructions to us. So, right here, I have, I have a, a space underneath the squiggly line your name and your number, your email address, and I'll get in touch with you. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll make a plan to have a baptism here at the church. Father God, fill your church with your spirit. May we hear your voice and follow after you. May we have a heart to find out what pleases you in all things. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.